most wonderful show is Keeping up with the Joneses. Mrs. A.J. Jones. Yes, sir. How the heck are you? I'm very good. You look very good. Thank you. You're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I have eyes, but no tail. Then what the heck is that? <laughs> it's my paintbrush. <laughs> How's painting going? It's going good. I love that you put it on Instagram stories. Yes. Because it vanishes after 24 hours. I know. It's quite a good way of doing it because... It's true. If you haven't followed, if you haven't been faithful, you just don't know what's going on. That's not, that's not what I was thinking. What I were was, you thinking? I was thinking from a boredom point of view. Yeah. Like it vanishes within 24 hours. Yeah. I, I quite like that. Yeah, so do I. I, I posted uh, like a teaser this evening that just said, it's finished, but I'm not showing it to you until we put the room back together. That's horrible. Well... Because a bunch of people asked me about it today, and but I don't want to post a picture until like it's done, done at this point. For those of you who have no clue what we're talking about, AJ took it upon herself to do up our guest bedroom. Yes. And one of the walls is 17 feet long. 17 feet and three inches. Okay. <laughs> and she decided to do some sort of craftsman style woodwork across yes. that back wall. It's called a board and batten. Which I'd never heard of. So you saying that is only going to educate people. With a crown be- molding ledge. <laughs> That's only going to appeal to the people who look at Pinterest and know what you're talking about. There's got to be people that listen to our podcast and look at Pinterest. Oh, undoubtedly, yes. but I'm saying I'm not one of them. <laughs> so when you were like, babe, I want to do board and batten, I was like, you want to do what now? You, I know. I had to show you a picture. And then I had to show it to you again like the next day because you couldn't remember what it looked like. <laughs> babe, my mind palace is full. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. To put something in, you have to take something I out. I know, and I don't want to lose any of those Mario stats. <laughs> You know, we'll be talking about that later on this Mm -hmm, podcast. mm -hmm. So you've been up to your eyeballs in DIY world. I have. I think somewhere along the lines, people think, well, people that know us won't think this, but I think somewhere along the lines, people are thinking, oh, you know, you've done a great job on that. I'm like, no, no, literally I have done nothing. Save, save (laughs) or go to Lowe's to pick up something. I'm your errand boy. It's all you. It's me. Yeah. I, and, and actually I don't know what I'm doing. It's, it's pretty much all I see something and then if I run into a problem, I have to ask the Holy Spirit. And if I can't figure it out that way, then I YouTube it. Uh, Who knew? YouTube the fourth person of the Trinity. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So this week was our first week without the students. Was it our first week? I think it was. I think it was. Gosh, this week's gone by slow but fast. It's exactly that slow but fast. Yeah, it it feels like almost the opposite of when the school is in. Yeah. For sure. But what you still is got that this... horrible sound? I thought it was a banshee. It sounds like somebody is vacuuming the main road or something. I don't know if you can hear this on the podcast. I'm doing my best to isolate it. But either our neighbors are out weed eating or mowing or vacuuming their car. Right. Something's going on out there. But it does sound like a howling <laughs> banshee. Yeah. So if you hear howling, we're all okay here. It says in the notes that AJ spoke to a high school football team. Have you been moonlighting as a football coach? I am. I mean, I know so much about football that it's time I started coaching. <laughs> 24, 68, hop. Hut, hut. Isn't that what they say? I don't know. Okay. We'll check with Brian. Um, I'm pretty sure that the numbers change all the time, maybe. Yeah. I... Uh, got an invitation to go and speak to a local high school's football team. There's a uh, coach at one of our local public high schools who has read my book, has read Finding Father. And he said for him, when he read it, he was in his 40s and he didn't know that he could hear the voice of God until then, but he'd been saved his whole life. And so, wow, I know. So he said it was like transformational for him. And 
so he's he's a coach at this local high school and they're letting him take a group of people through but it's not just football players there's there was a bunch of girls there too which i think were perhaps cheerleaders or you know and then there was a couple of teachers that came so um it was it was really fun there was one heck of a football team right teachers boys girls <laughs> well Very it, progressive i was told it was going to be football players and there was definitely football players but there was a bunch of other people too so well, that was fun it was really fun and it it made me think, oh, I love this. Like I love going into a place that doesn't normally uh, have open doors for listening to the gospel and just being able to go in and, and chat with them about how loved they are. Have we ever told a story about when we went to a correctional facility in Alabama? I don't know, actually. And we got to speak to 100? 125. Was it 100? How do you remember stuff like this? Because I actually use my mind palace for things other than Mario stats. <laughs> you need to back off the Mario stats, okay? Okay. Um, but that was fun. We got invited to speak at a youth correctional facility, and it was all sorts of awkward for a variety of reasons, not least of the fact that we were late and they were kept waiting in a non-air-conditioned sports hall it was a tin gym in alabama in the summer it was horrible it was like 115 degrees in there (laughs) and then you spoke and i was wearing a leather coat but i didn't want to take it off because the sweat stains would have been too bad so i kept it on it was awesome real life people real life yeah and so we spoke to these kids in what easily was one of the most awkward environments and i don't think any of them were going to respond i didn't either and then a bunch of them responded to get saved yeah and then Tons of them responded to get saved, like uh, 60 or something like that. Oh, yeah, it was tons. I don't remember stuff from the past. And then we did then we did healing and a bunch of a bunch of them got healed. Every single one of them who stayed for prayer for healing got healed. Oh, it was so much fun. So yes, I love the gospel in places we don't normally get to speak. Yeah, it was super fun. And then you started a six week theology class this week. Yeah, things I thought I'd never do. Why? Well, For me, growing up, theology, well, first of all, let's face facts, theology is not the sexiest subject. I mean, it absolutely is, but it doesn't sound it. I think it's sexy. Yeah. Hey, baby. Want to do some theology tonight? Want to talk theology? It doesn't work. (laughs) And again, the culture I grew up in, whether this is true or not, my, my impression of it was that people used their theology... To trap people. To, well... To prove they were right, which is yeah. a gross misuse of theology. Yeah. You know, theology that doesn't lead you closer to God is is wasted effort. Right. And so it really put me off. The, the whole intellectual pursuit of Bible facts to grow closer to God just did not work for me at all. You right. know, Paul says knowledge puffs up, and that's all it did for me. And so I, I realized half the stuff I argued against, I later found I was wrong about. Anyway, I say all that to say... I grew up in a really evangelical church and then moved to the charismatic church and just thought this was everything I was missing, only to find that for a lot of people in the charismatic church, they're, they're experts in the Holy Spirit but know very little about the Word. That's a gross generalization I, I, I absolutely appreciate. So I just realized how blessed I was with my upbringing on, on you know, conservative Protestant evangelicism. There's a lot of stuff that I just took for granted that other people didn't know. Yeah. And more recently, I've just been appalled at the theology that people are believing and just thinking, how the heck do you believe that? And I realized, oh, you you never knew the truth, so you didn't recognize the counterfeit. Right. So we thought we'd do a beginner's guide to theology. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun teaching the first session. Babe, it was so good. Well, you kind of have to say that because... I don't, though. 
You don't? Well, I on a regular basis. Well, not that regular because you're usually really good. But if there is feedback to give you, I do give you real feedback. Yeah, you do. That's right. So it was really good. You usually write it on my chest while I'm asleep. And then when I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, then I get my feedback. Okay. And how you can write backwards <laughs> so I can read it in the mirror is a gift. Well, I'm so gifted. I just wish you would just confront me face to face. So you know how earlier you're like, there's two things I need to get you back for? Yeah. And you can't remember what the second one is? Yeah. Do you want me to remind you what the second one is? Sure. Okay, so last night I was watching oh, a comedian now I remember. in bed and I was laughing and you laughed. And so I thought you're still awake. And so at the end I was like, gosh, that guy was really funny. And I shined my light in your face, which woke you up. And then you were like, hey, uh, well, I have this too. And, uh, but I had thought you were already awake. Have so. we told everybody what the first thing was that you did? You <laughs> psychopath? <laughs> No. There's a horrible video, <laughs> which I'll link to. You that, took a video? That we use in teaching about a father who dons a gas mask. Oh, and, it's not like and that. an ice cold cup of water. Yeah. And while his teenage son is having a roasting hot shower, the dad throws the ice cold water over the top and the son, you know, is understandably upset. Right. That would be traumatic enough. But then the father slides open the shower door to reveal him in a gas mask. And this poor son freaks out. Of course he does. From absolute shock. Well, right. AJ did much the same. I did not. Minus the gas mask <laughs> and the ice cold water. I'm happy I having... basically stood in front of the shower door. That's not the same thing at no. all. <laughs> you turned around silently and when I turned around I got the fright of my life. Well, first of all, I'm always silent. But second of all, I didn't realize you couldn't see me. I don't I wear glasses <laughs> but not in the shower. I know. I'm practically blind. So I kind of just stood with my nose up against the glass. And then when you opened your eyes after rinsing out your hair, I was right there. Yeah, I was horrible. So I've now got two things to get you back for. Yeah, you're not going to remember them, though. With your mind palace, they'll be gone by tomorrow. I'm quite safe, people. I'm quite safe. <laughs> this is the foundation of a healthy marriage, folks. <laughs> On the topic of healthy marriage, just yes. some follow-up from last week's podcast. Last week, we had our dear friends Mike and Phyllis Best, who are marriage experts. And I looked at our stats for our downloads, and th their episode last week, all about marriage, is the most downloaded episode in its first week in our three-year history of podcasting. Wow. It's, it, within six days, it's already the fourth most listened to episode of all time. Well, we want to have healthy marriages, don't we? Well, apparently everybody does. Yeah. So it's unlikely if you're listening to this regularly that you haven't listened to that one. But if you missed it, it's a really, really good one. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's great. What else happened? You went to movies. I went to a good movie. You stayed home and watched a terribly old movie. It wasn't a well. It's old, but it's it wasn't terrible. Old. Well, it is both. No, talk about the movie. Go on. Okay, so I watched West Side Story. I have a couple girls that I've invited to come over and watch musicals with me. They're quality films. I'm just saying. Don't look at me like that. I, I can't even muster <laughs> any other facial expression. This is my default facial expression when you talk about old musicals. I know. Well, that's just because you don't have any taste. That's all. <laughs> I'm just kidding, darling. You have lots of taste. You just don't realize that musicals are where it's at. I, I Yes. Yeah, quite true. Yeah. Well, while you did that, I went out and watched the new Garden of the Galaxy movie in IMAX 3D. And I heard it's great. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. So we need to go see it. Well, you need to. I need to catch up on my old musicals. Yeah, you probably do. Gosh, I love them. Can you like learn the dance scenes and stuff? And then we could dance together in the front hall. Your weirdness has reached new limits, darling. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> we could train the children. We could reenact things. Okay. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. This week, we're catching up on our listeners' questions. Woohoo! 
And they're all for you to answer. Are you what? ready? Wait, they're all for me to answer? Well, I'm going to read them out and you can answer them. This is Katie. And she asks, I've been thinking about the subject of weakness in the last few months. Maybe because I now have two kids under two. That, that would do it. I'm frequently reminding myself that his power is made perfect in weakness. And when I am weak, I am strong. I'd love to hear your thoughts and experience in this area. I've heard you say that you surround yourselves with people who are strong in the areas where you are weak. And then she has four questions. Way to get four questions for the price of one, Katie. Very smart. Okay, first question. She's skilled. How do you identify your own weaknesses while still being kind to yourself? What's a great question. I think most of us are incredibly aware of our own uh, weaknesses. The challenge is definitely the kindness part of that equation. And I'm not sure if I've fully mastered that yet. I... um, I mean, even today, I, I've i realized one of my weaknesses is if I'm on task with something, I don't actually like to be interrupted, which doesn't work very well as a mom. Or a wife. <laughs> so, you know, I realized today I was like, oh, I'm being short with my kids. I don't want to be short with my kids. I want to, you know, be able to stop and have a conversation because I need to have a conversation. But I'm aware that this paint dries fast, you know, like that kind of stuff. Right. And afterwards I then feel horrible about myself and so I I don't I don't know if I know the answer to that babe like I think that you have to let the Holy Spirit lead you in being kind to yourself and remind you because he reminds me to be kind he reminds me he's not expecting perfection yeah that's the thing you don't have to be perfect to be wonderful and that's a great revelation to learn I think I think it also helps being in an environment like we have the, the culture that we have where in terms of identifying your own weaknesses, your community around you will tell you, and hopefully they're they're a kind community. So when people are telling you your strengths and your weaknesses, it's because they love you and, and your weaknesses aren't a deficit. They're just either areas and opportunities to grow in or or areas that... I, I don't think... I don't know if you agree with this statement. I don't think we have to be strong in everything. I think that's why we have a body of believers. We can't all be eyes. We can't all be hands. We can't all be feet. We have to recognize that that's why we need one another. Right. I, I totally agree. I don't think you can be strong in, in everything. I think that's how people go a little bit crazy or they're really pretending. Right. I love being in a community where people love me in spite of my weaknesses. I'm just thinking, Katie, because you uh, mentioned that you're a mom, that probably some of what you're talking about are times when you're just by yourself with your kids and it's not really a time when you can go, well, this is just one of my weaknesses. I'm going to have to outsource parenting, you know? Um, and in those kind of situations, I think it's great to identify a weakness. And then you're literally just saying, Holy spirit, would you help me? You know, would you, um, show me any route here that's, that's robbing life for me as if there's specific reactions, you know, God, would you talk to me about that? Because I want to be a source of nourishment to my children. Right. And and he helps with that. I think I'm a much better mom now than I was, you know, when I first started having kids. Yeah, absolutely. One one would hope that we're always getting better at the things we keep doing. Right. And yeah, experience is an amazing teacher. Yeah. Um, Katie, you then ask, what does it look like to receive God's love and acceptance while still asking him to help you grow? I think we have to separate God's love and acceptance from our performance. Yeah. And understand, you know, it's, it's the thing that John used to say to us all the time, God loves you just as you are. He just loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So there, there's a delight in where you are. He loves progress. Yeah. 
I love MJ for the stage that he's at. And I'm not expecting him to be T or Abby. Right. Yeah. And God feels about us in that way too. And God never reveals anything to make us feel bad. Yeah. Or or to look bad. He just he's he's got exceptional grace and he's constantly leading us in in health and vitality. Any tips on growing in areas of weakness? Hmm. I think probably just surrendering your areas of weakness as you see them to the Lord and just asking him to help you grow, you know? Yeah. And I think God brings situations around us to draw strength out of those weak places. Mm -hmm. So he's great at orchestrating life where you have plenty of opportunities to grow, be that in patience or planning or endurance or whatever. I mean, he's just so masterful at that. And so Trying to face every season with grace and asking for help is key to those things, I think. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it says, what is a healthy response when we encounter other people's weakness or failures? <laughs> grace. I mean, I don't know that we can say we 100% uh, always respond at the level that we'd like to in terms of grace for other people when they're when they're in their low moments or weaknesses. But hopefully we're getting there, you know. Um, but we need to be able to, as, as much as we require grace for our weaknesses, we need to be able to extend grace to others in, in their weakness as well. I think that whole thing of never attribute to malice what could easily be explained away as ignorance is a really important thing. Yeah. I think we're often always receiving quote unquote motive in other people's weaknesses. And usually there isn't any, it's just them being weak and not realizing it. Like I think about a yeah. lot of the complaints I've received over the years is that, for example, I might not be perceived as caring. Whereas anybody who knows me would, would say that's absolutely not true of my nature, but because some of my actions or the speed with which I make decisions or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, p- people would attribute the motive because they're basically like, for me to behave in the way that Alan just behaved would mean I don't care about them. Where I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, oh, 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 yeah, I could totally see how you would get that. But no, no, that was never in my heart. So that whole thing of giving grace. And then the second thing is, I remember John Paul Jackson used to say, God will use the weaknesses of others to refine the weaknesses in us. Boy, does he. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. Just recently, you were having to say, hey, Alan, because I, I had hit a situation where I was really, really frustrated with somebody else's weakness. And AJ was just like, babe are you realizing this is an opportunity for you to grow in this area? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like now that you Shut mention up. it, yes. <laughs> so Katie, there that's great questions. I hope that was helpful. All right. The next question is by somebody named JS. And the question is, I have been listening to your podcasts on the subject of blessing. You speak often about trusting God with things and situations. And by doing so, receiving blessing in those areas. My question is this. How does one trust God with a specific situation, be it a dream, plan for the future, relationship, or schoolwork? Are there different answers to those situations? Do you simply say, God, I trust you with this situation? Do you wait for his direct guidance before making any move or progress? What does trusting God look like in action? Great questions. Yeah, really good. What do you think, baby? I think I think really you've hit it you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, in terms of how do you trust God, I think you just keep your heart in a position to hear from him and remain in hope. 
What are our neighbors doing in the dark outside? Sounds like they're chopping down trees now. Right. Um, I I honestly think it's like, you know, you said, God, I trust you with this situation. That's that's probably your your base level in every situation. Like when you say, oh, is, what about schoolwork or plans for the future or whatever? It, in just being able to press into God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with this relationship, with these friends, with this situation, but I choose to trust you. And I think probably staying in a place of trust and thankfulness helps you keep your heart open to God moving. Right. I think also most of the situations we face in life, there's there's a lot we can't do. Yeah. And our inability to do is by very definition trusting God. Does that make sense? Like when I met you and fell in love with you and really wanted to marry you, Woo-hoo. there was nothing I could do about that. I can't make you fall in love with me. I can't make you do any of those things. So right. in one sense, it really was trusting God. Right. Especially when he was like, ah, don't do anything with that. I'd like you to actually set that down. Right. You can't date. You're in school. You made this agreement. Right. So, yeah, but God, what if somebody else comes in and swoops her off her feet, you know, and you just come up with all, all these what ifs. Well, the ultimate answer to that is, ah, you can't do anything. And so are you going to be anxious while you can't do anything? Or are you going to just reconcile in your heart? God is God and he's got my future. Yeah. I think the challenge is always choosing to stay in peace while you're waiting to see what God does. Brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Sometimes also, though, as soon as you come to that peace, God asks you to do specific things. Like for me, for example, the Lord asked me, not to put myself in any situations where I could flirt with you. Yeah. Which sucked because we went to the same church and you were so cute and so hot and I just wanted to flirt with you because it felt amazing. Were? Were, darling? You are (laughs) so hot and now I can flirt with you. All I want. Yeah. You have your postgraduate flirting degree. (laughs) Well, yes, I do. All right, this question comes from Megan. Yes. Two questions. Okay. You're going to love these. Are they for me? Well, the second one's for you. I think the first one might be for me. Do you want me to ask the first one then? All right, you ask me the first question. Okay. It says, where do you get your imagery for your podcast titles? For the last year, I've been slowly venturing into blogging, and one of the most challenging things I come across is not writing the blog, but finding a catchy, attractive image that I can use that's of good quality. Megan, I understand the struggle. It's real. So we use uh, adobe.com. If you go to stock.adobe.com, uh, they have a huge wealth of image libraries that you can pay for. So we subscribe to Adobe, and that's where we get the vast majority of our images from. We also have used images in the past, and we still have an active subscription to a company called Death to the Stock Photo, which I absolutely love that title. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's a bunch of creatives who produce amazing, amazing creative work. Um, and I use it less often simply because while the images are absolutely stunning, they don't often lend themselves well to the topics I'm talking about. But still, I've subscribed to them for maybe two years and I've got a library full of their work that they're amazing. And then, and you also pay for them. And then there's another um, website that's completely free. It's called unsplash.com. And it's free. It's user-submitted artwork and it's all royalty-free. I'm a firm believer in a worker is worth their wages. And so I'm only too happy to pay for the awesome you know, use. So all the software we use, we've paid for all the creativity stuff that we use, we pay for. I'm just a firm believer in that. And so I'd encourage you to check out those sites. I'll put links in the show notes. All right. The second part of our question, baby, see what you think about this. 
Megan writes, my husband's love language is physical touch and video games. I'm, I'm sure that's a language. I am primarily quality time and acts of service. To my husband, quality time is playing video games with me sitting next to him on the couch, so we're touching. To me, that is not quality time because I don't enjoy video games. I hear Alan occasionally talk about his love for video games, and I'm wondering how you balance hobbies, things that fill your love tank, yet still fulfilling your responsibilities around the house or with family. Because video games is not a love language to me, I find myself asking him regularly to turn his game off to help me with something or hang out with me, as let me finish one more mission or five more minutes often turns into an hour so I get frustrated. I sometimes feel like I'm turning into a parent by setting boundaries or time limits. Maybe this is a question for AJ, but how do you not parent your spouse or do you secretly always parent your spouse? <laughs> I, don't right? want, I don't want to not let him do something he really loves or become a nag, but I also want there to be a balance. Any wisdom in this area would be greatly appreciated. Um, I guess I would say maybe have a chat with him and just just tell him like, hey, babe, I know that you think that me sitting next to you where you play video games is quality time, but that's not doing it for me. It's not quality time for me. I realize video games fills you up. It, it doesn't fill me up at all. So can we come up with some kind of a, a healthy you know, boundary for what this looks like? Right. And using the I statement, I feel dishonored. When you say five minutes more, but actually it turns out to be an hour or so, so could we, and then make a suggestion. Yeah. Because the truth is your husband's behavior is quite dishonoring and yeah. he's not, he's not hearing your need. So either he's not hearing it or you're not communicating it well, but you know, the two approaches that we're suggesting is good. Yeah. And none of us do want to be an egg. I think, I think the thing that's worked really well with Alan and I is we're both quite high doers. You know, we've talked about life languages and doers really like to finish what they've started, but they're also, um, they're, they're kind of great with boundaries, you know? Right. So typically, you know, I know we talk about, you know, Mario Kart or whatever, but it's not like Alan's playing it all the time. Um, but on his day off, he'll be like, Hey babe, okay. My plan is I'm going to go play Mario Kart with Glenn, or I'm going to go do whatever for a bit, or he'll play it with the kids. And then, but he always does what he says he's going to do. He, he finishes when he says he's going to finish. And if I need him, I'll usually just check in and go, Hey babe, when are you going to be done? Because, um, you know, I need help with X, Y, or Z. And he'll be like, okay, well, I have two games left in this, you know, tournament or whatever, and then I'll be done. And then he, he does that. So, um, I think if you can have clear communication, then it makes it a lot less frustrating. And I think the, the answer to your question is you never want to parent your spouse. No. That will not be good for you or for them. No. But you, parenting, whether in secret or not, is control. <laughs> and nobody likes to be controlled. And it's not fair to you or to them. Yeah. So that, that can't be the option. All right. Question number four. This is from Eileen. Eileen asks, I just finished the podcast on having kids and loved the insight. That's episode 140 for anybody who's interested, alanaj.com slash 140. I'm wondering, as a woman who got married older and also started having kids later in life, what are your thoughts on having children later? All my friends want to have children before 30, and after 35, doctors consider pregnancies high risk. I'm about to be 35 this year and would love to have children well into my 40s. I feel so behind in life sometimes because of this. Also, it's not common to find women with my same thoughts. 
Well, before I answer this, I should probably note that I am not a medical professional. I like to think I am, <laughs> but I'm not. You like to think you are. Um, but I can't, you know, just speaking from experience, the first thing I would say is chat with your doctor about that. I remember um, when Al and I got married, because we got married later, uh, I got pregnant with Abigail when I was 35. And of course, yes, you're considered high risk at 35. Um, I didn't consider it high risk, of course, because I just was like, well, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about this. Um, but I did talk to my doctor and my doctor was like, you're healthy. There's nothing to worry about. Um, one of the things that he had mentioned to me was that, you know, 20 years ago or 40 years ago, life expectancy was a lot shorter. And so, you know, by the time you're 35, you're now, you're not quite middle age, but kind of, you know, where now that's really not so much the case. So um, talk with your medical professional and just, you know, have a little chat. Um, I had MJ, which he's uh, our last child when I was 41. And I did notice I was more tired with that pregnancy. But again, I don't know if that's because I already had two little ones running around that you're chasing, you know. Um, But yeah. It did seem to take a toll more physically on you. It did. Yeah. He was also a bigger baby. Right. So. And then Eileen, I know nothing about that. So I'll just remain silent. (laughs) But God bless you as you seek wisdom on that. All right. Number five. This is from Becky. This is such a great question. How would you explain the difference between hard work and striving? I think striving has anxiety attached to it. I think we're we're hard workers. We like to work hard. We like to get things done. And we don't typically sort of sit back. We're, we're getting stuff done. Um, but I think striving, there's like a level of anxiety or anxiousness about either what other people think or what you're going to think about yourself or like you know, whatever the master plan, you know, kind of thing that overshadows the work that's being done. All right. I think it comes down to heart motivation as well. Yeah. There's, there's a joy on hard work. There's, I find the work that we do when it's anointed is marked by an absence of friction. It just feels like it's go, it's easy ideas freely flow. There's a high that comes off it. There's there's just an ease to the productivity. I don't mean it's easy. It requires hard work, but there's sure. a joy accompanying it. Right. Whereas striving is is the opposite. Striving just feels like you're pushing water uphill with a rake. Right. And it tends to be fraught with tension. Fraught with tension. Lots of toil for right. very little reward. Right. And the reward is, are other people noticing me? Yeah. Whereas hard work just seems to be a, a, a joy. And yeah, I... Uh, that's what I'd say. It's a hard motivation. I don't know if hard work is always a joy. You know, sometimes hard work is just hard work, but in the yeah. end, the result is a joyful result. I don't know. I've always loved. I've always loved working hard. I mean, I there's there's times when I'm a huge procrastinator. Yeah. Do you just say yeah, but too quickly there? But <laughs> I, I mean, I am. There's there's times when I am procrastinating and I think in my head I I justify that well I'm going to work hard later but when I'm in the work I remember my mother saying to me Alan the thought of hard work is always harder than the hard work itself right and I found that to be true right but ever since I was I don't know my late teens early 20s I discovered hard work and, and a joy in it and it's that whole thing of like you know find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life well 
I get what they're saying. Of course, it's not true. We work a lot, but like I said, there's a joy on it. And I think striving is filled with anxiety and is anyone noticing? It's a horrible way to live. Yeah. All right. Last question for the evening. Are you ready? Yes. Alan and AJ, I can't thank you guys enough for your podcast. Your insight has impacted me more than you know. That's wonderful to hear. I have two questions for you. The first is, what are your thoughts on generational curses? I'm having an extremely hard time finding scripture to back up this concept. Is this biblical? And my second question is, do you guys pray for your listeners? So second question first, yes, we pray for our listeners in as much as most times when we start our podcast and before we hit record, we just ask the Lord for a blessing on it and bless the ears of the people who hear this. We don't pray for you individually because there are thousands of you and we don't know all of your names. Right. And we deliberately say on our website, hey, we can't respond to personal prayers or requests for prophetic words because we have our own community we're pastoring. And we would love you to find your own communities to be pastored by. So, right. so we don't encourage you to write in and share what's going on and ask for personal prayer or personal prophetic ministry because that's just not something we're going to do. It's not within our resources and not within our mandate. So hopefully that makes sense. Your first question then about generational curses. Yes, we do a whole load of teaching on generational curses and the effects of sin uh, that it causes. Yeah. As for biblical concept, you only have to look as far as Genesis and realize Adam and Eve sinned and the rest of the generations after them were cursed with the effects of sin. Right. So there's a there's a foundation. Right. Uh, there's a lot of bad teaching and kind of confusion on that out there. Um, basically, here it is in a nutshell. Yes, you see people living with the effects of the sins of our fathers. Simple example, if I was an alcoholic and drank all the money that we earned my children would reap the effects of my sinful choice. Right. Also, just statistically, most people who are abusers were themselves abused. Right. And so, you know, that's an example of of sin being passed down. We even think there's passages in the New Testament where they say, is this person sick because of their own sin or from their father's sin or generational sin? So it was an understood thing. Right. And also, even today when you go to a doctor, the first thing they do is take a family history because right. from a medical perspective, they see hereditary illnesses. Now, they wouldn't call that generational curses, but clearly it's a pattern of sickness being passed from one generation to another. And being somebody who's been delivered from a number of generational curses, I'd like to say, yes, they're real because being free of them feels much different. Yeah. <laughs> Two excellent books on the topic. First one is by Derek Prince called Blessings and Curses You Choose. I'll put a link in the show notes. A second one that deals with the whole topic of generational sins of the fathers and the resulting curses is by our friends Chester and Betsy Kilstra. Their book, Biblical Healing and Deliverance, is an absolutely astounding book at clearly explaining how they work, how they get their power, and more importantly, how they can be broken because Jesus Christ broke the curse for us because it says cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. And of course, Jesus was crucified on a tree and he took the curse for us. And so you learn about how to apply what Jesus did to set us free from those curses. Really, really powerful teaching and has tremendous effects on the lives of people. We've got testimonies in our own lives and in the lives of all the people that we've ministered about how the the difference uh, breaking off generational 
curses makes in family lives. It's amazing. Yeah. So check out those books. They're they're tremendous. In wrapping up for this evening, I just want to let you know, if you want to ask your own question, please go ahead and head over to alanandaj.com slash ask. We'd love to uh, see your question and try and answer it for you on the air. We've got the more conference coming up in two weeks time. It's going to be happening the weekend of May 19th to 20th. It's going to be happening at Grace Center. We've got worship with Kelly Halligenthal and Hunter Thompson from Bethel Worship. And our speaker for that weekend is Cale Mumby, a prophet from Canada. We're super excited about having these guys here, and we'd be thrilled to have you join us too. We have sold out of our early bird tickets, but regular tickets are available. And if you pre-order at gracecenter.us slash more, you can save $20 on the pay at the door price. And lastly, our School of Supernatural Life. We have the applications open for both year one and year two. We'd love you to pray about coming and joining us uh, at the school. We have just found so much life in it. Um, and I love the transformation that we've seen happen. First year is designed to go after your heart. Things like generational curses that we talked about tonight, not only will we teach you in depth about those things, we'll also help set you free from those things. It's an incredible year of transformation and you learn how to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then second year is all designed about the word of God and leadership. Yeah. Find out more by going to gracecenter.us slash school. We would love to have you here in Franklin for eight months. Yeah. All right. We love spending time with you every week. If you would like to give us feedback, go to alanandaj.com slash feedback. If you'd like to ask us a question, alanandaj.com slash ask. And if you'd like the show notes for this week, go to alanandaj.com slash 150. See you next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Alan and AJ, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences. Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. They talk about faith in God and everything under the sun. If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone. 